Set him up, Joe. I got a little story you ought to know. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Carlo Rizzi of The Godfather, Gianni Russo. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I didn't know you were known as Nasty Neal. Yeah, now a few years I'm, ago, one of my guests gave me the name Nasty Neal, and I kind of liked it, so so I let it stick. No, I love it. I, 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 that's what people say about Nasty Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnant yeah. women cross the street when they see me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I want to talk about your book, which comes out next year, but um, uh, when did you yeah, start writing it? Yeah, so interesting. It? I, I wrote it in 95 and, and then I kept changing it obviously. And I had to, because my legal department told me that you got to wait for some of these guys to die. <laughs> so I did, uh -huh. but it's a tell all. And, uh, I'm glad you mentioned because I'm getting so much buzz on it already. Um, Amazon has it on up for sale already. I can't believe it, it comes out March 12th, the 47th anniversary of Godfather which we thought it would be great. And the title obviously is the Hollywood Godfather. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's, uh, it's a tell all it's my life around the mob in the mob and, uh, everything I did with the casino in Vegas and the favors I did for so many people, including six presidents and three popes. So wow. it should be, a an interesting read, but they already sold 3,200 advanced copies. <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. I was going to say, besides mm -hmm. like, besides a uh, legal or, or, um, you would want some of the people maybe not around just, uh, for besides, you know, if they want to sue you or anything, maybe they'd want to uh, come after you. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I mean the last guy who just died, who was a, a Genovese boss and I knew him well, Nicky Generoso, he was 86. I mean, 96. And he said, uh, and I saw him just a couple of months prior to dying. He says, you know, you'll be able to release that book soon. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, I thought what, was funny. But anyway. Yeah. Well, it is funny. And when did you, uh, when did you even like openly talk about being uh, ever associated with, uh, with the mob? Well, you know, it's ironic. It's been in my life because my, my great uncle, Angelo Russo, um, he was caught by Interpol when he left Sicily for the first time ever to go to a friend of his daughter's wedding and they caught him in England and they hung him. And, oh, wow. uh, but he was responsible for, for sending Carlo Gambino and uh, Frank Costello, Vito Genovese to America in the early, you know, 18, 1900s. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but so I've been around that life indirectly and, in, all my life because I'm half Sicilian and half Namalidan and uh, those two areas control most of the mobs. Yeah. So when you grow up like uh, around that and then become part of it, like how do you view it? Do you, you know, and do you view it differently now than you did uh, when you were younger? Well, you know, I, the, the mentors I had early on, like Mr. Gambino and all that. I used to go to a cafe every Sunday morning just to pay my respects like an old uncle, not realizing, you know, who and what he was at that time. And he was a gentleman. He's not like, you know, the John Gotti's of the world and mm -hmm. the, even the Spalachos out of Chicago. These are loud, boisterous people who wanted the attention. 
most of the old timers, and there's still a few around. I go to Sicily a lot, and there's still some around that you wouldn't even know who they are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this new regime with no respect and all of that, I mean, I, I've watched it, fortunately. You know, I'm 75 years of age, mm-hmm. so I've watched it at an early age. You know, I was born on Mulberry Street, so that alone, I was thrown in if you didn't want to know what it was. Right. So how, how accurate would you say, like, a lot of the movies are? Uh... Well, I think the most accurate, basically, and not selfishly, but Mario Puzo did his homework. There was three godfathers who made up Vito Corleone, and I knew the three of them. Joe Pafacci, that's where the oil company came in, and Mr. Gambino, obviously, and Vito Genovese. And then a, a, a tinsel of the man who raised me was Frank Costello, and that's where they got the line where he has all the politicians and judges in his pocket. That was mm-hmm. Tammany Hall. Mm-hmm. And so I was thrown into that when I was 13, 14 years of age. I was a messenger for Costello all those years until he died in the 73. You know, he died in, in, uh, in when he was 73 years of age. So mm-hmm. I was around him all that time. Did he die before the Godfather came out? No. No, he died uh, after the Godfather came out. All right. So I was just wondering, uh, no. did he, do you know? No, he, he gave me my blessings. Oh, okay. No, the only guy that didn't, didn't like the Godfather after it came out was Sinatra. He didn't like it even being made, which right. is another whole story that he and I had a conversation about. But so, um, so no, the old timers he... loved the way they glorified it. You know, mm-hmm. they loved it, the life of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned Sinatra. Did, uh, uh, were you friends with Sinatra before you did The Godfather? I, you know, I, again, because Costello owning the Copa, mm-hmm. right here, I'm on 61st. This is, this is one of Costello's buildings I live in right now. I still do for 65 years. But down the block, uh, right off Fifth Avenue, was the Copa. So at 15, 16, I'm backstage every night because this guy owned it. I had the run of the place. They only knew me as the kid. So I met Sinatra when he was playing the Copa. That's how long I knew him. In fact, I brought him to tears one night. He couldn't believe it. Because, you know, I, I, I told him how much I, I liked him. You know, and they were, that's in between shows at the Copa. Mm-hmm. And he gave me respect just because of Costello, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him that how he changed my life in 1949. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I got polio in 1949. I was quarantined to Bellevue a state hospital for five years. And for the first three or four months, all I did was cry because I didn't know what I was doing there. I was seven years old. And then one, uh, Dolores Barone, a niece of Carlo Gambino, that's the kind of luck I have, was a candy striper. By the time I came out, she was a full-blood nurse. But she gave me a little transistor radio. And on December 12th, Sinatra's birthday, WNEW announced that it was, the, you know, the chairman of the board's birthday and all of this. And that was my birthday. So it was like a birthday gift to me, me being alone in quarantine. Yeah. And I related to him immediately saying, look, the guy's from Hoboken, an Italian-American, and he, he's a legend. And so it gave me some inspiration and, and a desire to get out of there. Because mm-hmm. I watched 20 kids die in my 20-bed ward. Over those five years, I was there. Mm-hmm. 
So when I met him, finally, I told him the story. He started crying. Wow. I said, you know, and then he baptized my last son, Luciano, too. I, I mean, I, I've stayed in touch with him. But he's not a nice guy. He's a nice guy if he isn't drinking. Mm-hmm. But he gets drunk. He's a nasty drunk. There's a, you know, Jackie Gleason was the same. Mm-hmm. I was around all those guys at Tut Shaw. Yeah. But, um, but Sinatra, funny story, if we have time. Sure. When I, when I got cast in The Godfather, Sinatra had Dorothy call me, his, his secretary. And she said, the old man wants to talk to you. I said, great, put him on the phone. He said, Johnny, we're friends, right? I said, yeah, Frank, of course. He said, well, you know, a lot of my friends, like Vic Damone and different people, were asked to do The Godfather. I asked him not to. And I know you were cast to do it. I'd really like you not to do it. So I thought about it for a minute. I said, okay, Frank, I won't do it. So now I hang up. Two or three days go by. I'm really pissed. Because, you know, I already told everybody I was doing it. Nobody believed I was got in the movie because I'm not an actor at the time. It was the first uh-huh. movie I made. So I called Sinatra back three days later. I said, Dorothy, can I talk to the old man? So he gets on the phone, and I use the same line. I said, Frank, we're friends, right? He said, of course. I said, if I asked you not to do Here to Eternity, would you have done it? And he hung up on me. <laughs> 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 and obviously, I did the Godfather. He didn't talk to me for three years, but didn't mean anything. Uh, right. So I assume his uh, his problem with the movie was the Johnny Fontaine character. Well, yeah, because in the movie, as you, we all know, they made it look like the mob spoke for him to get that part. Mm-hmm. What really pissed him off about that was Ava Gardner, who he was totally enamored with and in love with, screwed old man Cohen to get him the part. Because she knew she screwed up his life. I mean, he tried to kill himself, and most most people don't know this. Mm. On 72nd Street, where he lived in that building, so did James Woods, not the actor. James Woods, his agent at William Morris. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't sing. He was just totally distraught. So he put his head in the oven of James Woods' oven in his apartment. And thank God his neighbor smelt, smelt the gas. They broke in and saved his life. But it destroyed his vocal cords even more. Mm. So he needed that part. Mm-hmm. So she went to him, Cohen, and said, listen, you got to give him the part. And that's where they got that line even. I ain't giving that. Lisa, <laughs> I don't need that. But, you know, all that shit. Uh-huh. And she said, you've been trying to fuck me for years. How about I go to Acapulco with you? for the weekend. You can have your way with me, but he gets the part. That's how he got the part. Mm-hmm. And that's it, why it destroyed him to know yeah. that she did that for him, number one, and they're giving the credit to the mob. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I think is very interesting. Yeah. It's in my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with a <more, laughs> little more detail, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I was just wondering, because you said, you know, the Godfather's kind of a an amalgamation of, of like uh, different people. Do you think maybe the Johnny right. Fontaine character was the same way? That maybe it wasn't that they got it wrong, they kind of combined it with another story? Well, no. They, I mean, they knew Sinatra was around the mob. Mario was never around the mob. I mean, I know Mario Puzo a hundred years, and he was, I mean, he was into us for a lot of money because he's a degenerate gambler. But, no, I mean, they, I mean, they elaborated on... I don't sure. think, number one... They were going to say 
you know, Ava Gardner fucked Omer <laughs> Cohen to get the part. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I don't. Even I think he gave him more intrigue with the horse and all that. You know. It's oh, perfect, definitely. It's a you know iconic scene. Uh, oh my God, the cutting a horse's head off was amazing. Yeah, of course. So you know, you mentioned that's your first movie, which is really amazing. I think. Uh, you know, one of most like I think the greatest movie ever made, and that's your your first movie. So how how did you even get involved? Because it's all these you know uh, amazing actors. Well, what happened is I I was I read the book, and I used to go to uh, the Palm Restaurant on Second Avenue mm-hmm. every Sunday night around nine thirty ten o'clock. Before I went to see Ian Schrager and Ron and all those guys at Studio Fifty Four because that was a private party on Sunday nights. So I was there every Sunday. Everybody knew that. So Rocky, one of the owners, came over to me and said, this guy wants to talk to you. Because I, I lent a lot of money out, out of that restaurant. So this guy comes over to me and he introduced himself as Al Ruddy. I said, Al Ruddy? I know that name. I said, how do I know that name? He said, well, I produced Hogan's Heroes, which was my favorite movie. I mean, favorite TV show. Yeah. You know, at night, it was insane. You know, my clink and all that. It was very oh, yeah, funny. Definitely. So I said, what do, you, what do you want? He said, I need $35,000. And Rocky, I know Rocky, 100 years. He said, you may be able to arrange to get it. I said, what's it for? He said, I, I want to buy the rights from Mario Puzo to make The Godfather into a movie. I said, you kidding me? This is like 1969. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. I'll give you the money. So I, t- I told my driver, I said, Rocky, go. Not my, uh, I told Rocky to get my driver. So he gets the driver. The driver comes in. I said, get me three and a half wrappers out of the trunk. He knew what I meant. So he brings in. I used to wrap $10,000 increments in, in tinfoil, keep it in the car. Oh, okay. Because I gave a lot of money out. It was Costello's money, not my money. Mm-hmm. And so he came in with it. And I sat down and, and I opened up the wrappers. And Ruddy almost got diarrhea. He should give me the money now. I see why. He says, uh, don't have to sign anything. I said, yeah, you just sign a napkin. So I got a napkin and I wrote out an IOU. And before I made him sign it, I said, listen, here's what I'm going to do, Al. If you don't make the movie, you don't have to pay me back. Now everybody was looking at me. <laughs> I think I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> yes, you don't have to pay me back. But if you don't make the movie, I'm taking over your rights. I'll get the movie made. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I really wanted to become an actor. My ego, but I wasn't going to go to tests and all that bullshit in school. Mm-hmm. So I buy the rights to the book with him. They're developing it into a script, and here comes Joe Colombo picketing the FBI building, the Italian Defamation League. This is the worst movie in the world for Italians. So I'm saying, like you said, me being around the mob, I knew what it was all about. They want to make money. Mm-hmm. So I go see Joe, whose office was on Madison Avenue. It's ironic because I just got off the phone with Barry Slotnick, one of the most prominent attorneys in New York. He was their attorney and now he's been my attorney all this time. In fact, he made my deal with Paramount. Mm-hmm. So I go see Joe and I said, Joe, you're selling a buck a button, these membership buttons. You know how many buttons you got to sell? If you let me and Barry talk to Paramount. Let's see what's bothering you in the script. We could change it. Let them make the movie. I'll make you make millions. Is how are you going to do that? I swear, if you let them make the movie, I'll get you the world premiere 
in every major city that's got a population of Italian-Americans. Now you could charge them $100 a ticket to see the movie. It's a preview before anybody else. Mm-hmm. He said, you could do that? I said, of course. Now I walked out of here. I never even talked to Paramount about that deal. But I figured, let me work it out. Uh-huh. So I called Ruddy. And that, that, as my luck would have it, the Sunday morning prior to this meeting on Monday in New York, they blew up the Paramount gates. Those gates, they were about 20 feet tall, were laying on the street of Melrose Avenue because mm-hmm. they were opposed. They were, you know, demonstrating not to make the movie. Mm-hmm. So now I go to the Gulf of Western building, which is now Trump International on 33rd Street, and I'm sitting in the lobby, and I'm waiting for Stanley Jaffe and all of them, and there I was. <laughs> I said, I could straighten this out for you. I didn't know. They said, wait down here. I thought they went upstairs to call the FBI on me because <laughs> the gate just got blown up. <laughs> right. Next thing you know, they, they ushered me upstairs and I give them a proposal. I said, let's bring him in. And I said, you all just read the book. Let's have a sit down here. We'll bring Joe Colombo. We'll bring his lawyers. You bring your legal team in. Let's see what's bothering them. Let them read the script. And then unbeknownst to them, I didn't tell them what I said. I said, they can't read anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they all started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a meeting. I call a meeting. Everybody comes. Butterester Chico, uh, Boozy, all of them. And then obviously senior and junior come to this meeting. So now I make the proposal. Here's what he wants to do. Let Barry Schlotnick, he's sitting here have the script, we'll mark it up, we'll come back. If you agree, we'll sanction the movie, or Joe will, the league, and get you all the cooperation you want in the neighborhoods, plus the union cooperation, and go forward with it. So they all agree, they all shake hands, they're all getting up. So I look at Joe, I said, Joe, whoa, what about me? He's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he raises his hand and motions them all to sit down. And my God, they all sat down. I'm talking about, you know, Stanley Jaffe, Bobby Evans, everybody that yeah. runs Paramount. And he said, what about my boy? What are we going to do? He said, oh, no, no, we'll give him a part. I said, excuse me. I said, I don't want a part. I made a deal whether I play Michael, Sonny, or Carlo. They all looked at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, which a lot of people don't know, James Kahn was playing Michael. Mm-hmm. Carmen Caridi from the man from La Mancha on Broadway, because they thought he should be a big guy, was playing Sonny. I said, well, who's playing Carlo? They said, nobody. So I looked at Joe. So Joe says to him, he's playing Carlo. They said, okay, we make the deal. He could play Carlo. And that's how I got the plot. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty wild. So when you're actually in the, when you're making the movie, um, does any, do the other actors, did any of them bring up that, uh, you know, that you've not been in anything, you've not acted before? Oh, not only that. The, the good news, they had the, the rehearsal for a week. Mm-hmm. Francis came up with the idea, let's go to Patsy's restaurant, 119th Street. They had a big room in the back. Now, Patsy, I don't know if you know Patsy. Patsy he was mm-hmm. the underboss of the game. Yeah, the Gambino family, not the Gambino, the Genovese family. 
And we used to go up there all the time, even Sinatra, after the Copa, they, they were open 24 hours a day for pizza. <laughs> so now the idea was Francis had everybody come, the whole cast, and then, you know, they, they look like they were, my God, they're dressed better than some of these people. Uh-huh. And I'm already driving a 65 Bentley with a Chinese chick chauffeur. And I pull up and they're all coming in station wagons, whatever the studio got them. And they had all kinds of Italian food on the table. And, and Francis Ford Coppola said, uh, I want the Italians to generate all their mannerisms. If they're eating, they're talking, their hand gestures for the non-Italians like James Caan being Jewish, Paul and Brando being Polish to take on all of this. So we have we go through the first read through, and they even said on the call sheet, which I never had a call sheet in my life, said it's going to be a cold reading. I thought they're going to turn the air conditioning on. What do <laughs> I know about a cold reading? <laughs> and all we did was like you know, it started with Vito Corleone. He got up high on Marlon Brando. I'm playing Vito Corleone. Then it went to Morgana King, his wife, and everybody, even Pacino, everybody said who they're playing. And me being in the immediate family, I was like sixth or seventh in the chair. Mm-hmm. And then it went around the whole table. So the first break, you could see all these thespians, all these great actors like Pacino and, and James Caan and the wow. Uh, Billy, uh, uh, the other kid was fabulous. He died early. Uh, Fredo. Uh, yeah. yeah. J- John, uh, what was his name? Well, anyway, they all wanted to approach Brando, but nobody did. Mm-hmm. Miranda walks over to me and he says to me, I know you, you're a big actor, but you got a movie coming out. I said, no. He said, uh, you have a big TV show. I said, no. He said, uh, you're not on Broadway. I know everybody on Broadway. I said, you're right. He said, who'd you study with? I said, study what? <laughs> Witness, he calls Francis over. He says, Francis, this guy's playing Carlo. And Francis very reluctantly said, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, He's got to be a great actor. And I didn't even break down the script. He breaks it down in front of me saying to Francis, you know, to your audience, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. He says, he marries my daughter. He undermines my family. He gets my son, Sonny, killed. This guy's got to be so believable. you got to rethink this. So again, me never being on a set or in rehearsals, I didn't know you couldn't dismiss the director. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I said, Francis, go over here a minute. I got to talk to this guy. Then I did another sacrilege thing. I, I put my arm on him. <laughs> I put my arm around him. I said, come over here. I want to talk to you. And in the back of Patsy's, they used to have a zigonet game. I knew it was going on all the time in the night. The room would be empty. I didn't want to embarrass the guy. So I walk him into the back. The whole room, you could hear a pin drop. They're all saying, like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> so I walk him in the back. As soon as we're out of earshot of everybody, I turn him around. I said, let me just tell you something. Yeah, I don't give a fuck who you are. I just had a big party. Nobody believes I'm in the movie to begin with. Now, you think you're going to take this part away from me? I will suck on your fucking heart. You will not make the front door. You fucked this up for me. You hear me? <laughs> he raises his hand. He steps back. He said, that was brilliant. You could do this part. He thought I was fucking acting. I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> and we were friends ever since. I gave him yeah. his big pe- biggest paycheck he ever got. 
I gave him $12 million to do the freshman. It was the spoof. With, remember? Uh, with, yeah. Uh, well, Matthew yeah. Broderick, Bruno Kirby, all of us. I was in that movie, too. Yeah. So, That's a good so I gave him a check for $12 million for that film. Wow. Not me, Warner Brothers. Right. I got right. him to do it. Yeah. 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 You didn't have that many uh, rappers in the back to give him the $12 million. No, 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 no. Well, I could arrange it, believe me. The, yeah. the Wyndham Hotel was our bank on 58th Street. Mm-hmm. The whole floor had more money than some banks in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so so was it just that instant right there when uh, when he turned and like, hey, I like this guy, he likes you? Yeah, and that was it. Then I, he wrote, I picked him up every day he was on the set for the wedding on Staten Island and all that. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was staying at the Elisai Hotel on 54th Street. He wasn't going to stay at the Park Lane where they put us. I had a bigger apartment around the corner, but I wanted to stay in the hotel. (laughs) Plus, I was fucking, you know, I just wanted to be around all these people. Now, in Hollywood, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. So I used to pick him up every day in my Bentley, only to find out he loved my little chauffeur, and I finally sent her over to Indonesia. I mean, uh, where the hell he had the island? uh, Tahiti. Mm -hmm. And and she's still over there, I think. He's dead, and she's still there. Oh, wow. But I do it. Yeah. So what no, was he like as a, what was he like as a person, Marlon Brando? Oh, he was a great practical joker. So much fun. If he liked you, but they were a recluse. He had to be around his own people. Mm-hmm. And then I did a big favor for him when his son, you know, uh, his son had yeah. killed his brother-in-law, his attended brother-in-law. Well, we were neighbors. My house on Mulholland Drive is still there. My kids live in it. It's 10,000 square foot between Brando and Jack Nicholson's house. So he called me that night around one or two o'clock in the morning. He says, you got to help me. I said, help you? What happened? He says, uh, Christian just killed my uh, Cheyenne's bro- boyfriend. Uh, boyfriend. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, he was beating her up. And my son came to my side of the house. He had his house cut in here, literally. He had doorways where you had to ring the bell to go on the other side of the house where he lived. He didn't want the kids bothering him. He was no fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, what do you want me to do? And at that time, most of the audience knows this. I just beat a a murder that I committed in my casino in Las Vegas. I I killed uh, Pablo Escobar's underboss, Lorenzo Morales, in my club, October 28, 1988 or 89. Mm -hmm. So he knew I beat that case. So he said, you got to help me. I said, I'll help you. I said, "Uh, what number should I give this guy to call you? Who's the guy? I said, the guy that defended me, he didn't have to do nothing, believe me, but he'll help you. So I hang up the phone. It's a true story. Robert Shapiro's still alive. I hope he's listening to this podcast. <laughs> so I call, I call Bobby up. It's, and I, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. He's an arrogant little guy. He says, what are you calling me so late for? I said, shut the fuck up, okay? It's Johnny Russo. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I got a client for you. He said, can they call the office in the morning? I said, no, he needs you to represent him right away. He said, who is it? He's Mullen Brandon. I said, oh, give me the number, please. I'll call right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was even funnier, because I, I sleep sporadically. I, do, I, I deal in four different countries. So mm-hmm. with the Senate, at, at 7 o'clock in the morning, I, I turn on the news in L.A., and there's Shapiro, with Brando outside the correctional center, getting Christian out. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you know the case. He only did five. He got yeah, sentenced for five. He did only three years. Yeah. That's not too bad. 
No, not bad at all. But the reason, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's how long and indebted. I mean, I used to meet this guy all over. He'd say, come and get me. We used to go to Trader Vic's in the, in the, uh, the Hilton Hotel, right in mm-hmm. Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And we'd go there. He'd bring his German shepherd. He'd sit at the table like it was a person. Nobody said anything to this guy. They just loved him, but he was nuts. <laughs> oh. So I have a question. Uh, when you say you beat the, the murder case, but you still talk about it, like, uh, can they not do anything about it anymore? Well, how can they? Statues is gone. All right. No, I had, I had, I had three situations. One early on. I, no, that's so funny because I laughed. Even, even the old men in the old timers would say, see this kid? We know that he killed three people. He never did a Jane jail. I never had handcuffs on. <laughs> I used to leave. I'd get the fuck out. What am I going to do here? Sit and try to get, get out of here. See you later. Uh-huh. And Barry Schwanick beat every case for me. Mm-hmm. He, t- he took the summons and he said, well, well where's your client? He said, not in this country. So I, I don't even know how to get in touch with him. But yeah. here I am. Right. They, 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 were, uh, they were all beat because it was all self-defense. Mm-hmm. The, the first guy, well, the first guy tried to, it was a pedophile. And they, had, they were very happy for me to take him out. Mm-hmm. But the, the other guy in my club, he stabbed one of my customers. And then he slit my throat. That was all over the newspapers, everywhere. Oh, wow. October 20th, in the States, you can look it up. Mm-hmm. October 28th, 1988, State Street. I shot him in front of 150 people right through the, right, right in the squad. Mm-hmm. And, but then he didn't go down. I didn't realize the coroner told me. You had to shoot him in the back of the head. That's why he looked at you for a couple of minutes. Imagine a guy's got a hole in his head. You put it in his head. <laughs> and now he's still coming at you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Quite the experience, I imagine. Yeah. So, but you said he was an underboss. So, uh, not only legally, but uh, was there any chance of someone you know coming after you for for revenge of that? Oh, did was there ever? I went over there. No, it's funny. I I had to go see John Gotti mm-hmm. because I figured he's got to be no, he's got to know this guy. But John always hated me, and so I went anyway. And I, and O'Neill, who he adored, O'Neill was his man. And O'Neill and I were like, you know, brothers. Mm-hmm. So O'Neill told me to go see him. I, he arranged for me to go there, thinking I'd never come back. <laughs> but here I am. Uh-huh. And then I, which, which bothered me most, because I got to be friends with Pablo in, over the next few days, because it happened to be The Godfather was his favorite film. <laughs> and he couldn't believe it. I was Carlo and I came over there to see him that happened with Saddam Hussein with me too I mean it was crazy what's oh, that I, I mean, Saddam been, Hussein well I was I was I, I deal a lot of money I laundered I was laundering a lot of money legally paying you know to pay I, got, I was a courier we used the Vatican Bank it's all in my book mm-hmm. and that's why this book is so nuts I have two mo- movie companies already trying to option it oh, that's pretty awesome it sounds like this. Yeah, yeah Leonardo DiCaprio wants to play me. Oh, well, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I was going to say there's so many yeah. stories, I think it might have to be a series instead of uh, one movie. Well, that's or what they're talking about. But, you know, and by, uh, De Niro is very close to me. And he's saying to me, you should do what we do with the Irishman. There's more money in it. But, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I want to go to the premiere. I want to go to Cannes Film Festival. I've been there so many times. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, what people don't realize, with The Godfather and the other films I've been in, they won nine Oscars. I like going to Comfort Festival. 
Yeah. I got a 120-foot Riva. I bring the boat over. I'm like a movie star. I have fun. I have people over on my boat. Mm-hmm. My, greatest, my greatest credit right now, I threw Harvey Weinstein off my boat because I thought he was a dirty, <laughs> a dirty old man and only to prove he was. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. When did you do that? Oh, man, I, so many times. I was over there for The Godfather. I was Godfather 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. I was over there for another movie I did called For Which You Stands. I was over there for, uh, well, I mean, look at the movies I did. Any Given Sunday, Striptease, uh, Seabiscuit, great movie. They were all my movies. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I learned the business well. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you knew you knew about Harvey, or at least knew that there, he wasn't like a good Oh, my guy. God, yeah. It was a pedophile rat that he is. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing, I mean, to me, there's women that are willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, you know, it, I, I think they're all getting what they deserve, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so few- like he, he, he couldn't get laid in a Chinese who house with a handful of yen <laughs> the way he looks. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, I I'd interviewed Richard Stanley, the director, a couple of years ago, and he went really uh-huh. into detail about uh, Harvey Weinstein, and it was before all the stuff came out. And then, like, it was about six months oh, later. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this guy had <laughs> told me all this stuff on the show. No, but the interesting thing is that we're not, I mean, I was close friends for the last four years of Marilyn's life. They asked me to, to, you know, to take care of her when she was having all these problems in New York. Mm-hmm. So it was my pleasure, hello, to tell me to go take care of her. I was 16 years old. Forget it. I used to walk around with an erection all day long. But <laughs> she told me about the casting couches and, you know, the, um, what's the name, Daryl Zanuck. I mean, it was, it was good. That's the way the business was. Mm-hmm. And male or female, mm-hmm. you know, Rock Hudson was raped by his agent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many stories with these guys. But yeah, I'm, I don't, you won't believe what happened to me. They they cast me right after The Godfather to do Myra Breckenridge. And you know, I mean, um, well, Michael Sarn was an English director coming over to do it. It was Mae West and all these people. And my agent, Jack Gelati, said, this is a great stepping stone, the next one. So I go there, and I was, I was curious right away when the reading was going to be 8 o'clock at night in May West's dressing room on the Fox back lot. <laughs> it's okay. So I always get drive-ons anyway. So I drive, and I'm not my driver. He says, when should I come back? I said, I don't know. Stay here. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know if I'm staying long. Uh-huh. So now I go in there, and this May West. She looks like the lampshade in my grandmother's living room. She had so much chiffon on and all this shit. The whole thing was pink lit. And it's only her and that fag Michael Son in there. Uh-huh. I said, where's the rest of the cast? So we wanted to talk to you about the part and all of this. I said, okay. So then she says, you know, there's a lot of nudity in this. I said, I didn't read any nudity. <laughs> she said, well, Michael and I have been talking about it. And she said, you look like you're in pretty good shape. I was like 27, 28 years of age. I'm still mm-hmm. in good shape at 75. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. She said, well, you know, uh, how do you feel about nudity? I said, I love nudity. I love everybody being nudity. <laughs> so she said, well, can we see your body? I said, if you give me the part and pay me a lot of money on the set, yes. Well, we have to see it now. I said, let me just tell you something. You are perverted. And I left. I was engaged out the gate. My phone in my car rang. I had one of the first phones. 
Mm-hmm. And it's Jack July. He said, are you crazy? You walked out of Michael's son. I said, yeah, you go suck his dick. Get the fuck out of here. I hung up on him. <laughs> but that's my experience with it. Even a guy like Dom DeLuise, I thought the guy was straight. Mm-hmm. He came on to me. Merv Griffin, was, I did 23 Merv Griffin shows. Mm-hmm. He used to come in my dressing room all the time. I said, Merv, I'm not that way. See you later. Uh-huh. I just throw him out. He used to love it because I used to chase him. I said, <laughs> yeah, you know, you got Jack Sheldon. He likes you. Leave right. me alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, being being the being the Godfather, being your first movie and your uh, your young guy, uh, that's got to be an amazing experience. But at the same time, was there any negative any negative aspects at that time for you? Because it's like you did such a big movie. Kind of, where do you go from there? You can't really go any higher. But you know what the interesting thing was at the time? It wasn't a big movie. It was so funny. We didn't even know they were going to release it. Right, right. You know, the movie picked up momentum when it became a video. Mm-hmm. Where you could buy it as a DVD, not a DVD. Yeah, it was it what was the first video? V- it was a video. VH- right? v- yeah, VHS. VHS, yeah. But after you know, once it came out, it was huge success. It was like anything else, you know. It was like the last date on Saturday. You forgot it. Right. But you know, it's it, it, after a couple of months. Now, okay, the Godfather. It wasn't until it got on television, and then the Godfather Two kept building momentum. Then, mm-hmm. no, and then and now the franchise that it is, it's insane. I mean, mm-hmm. I make right now, like I'm, I'm about to launch quarterly own family selections. I'm the ambassador to this brand. Mm-hmm. We own the IP of 200 images of Marlon Brando, his voice. We launched just recently on Liquorama. You can go on to Liquorama. You'll see the Godfather vodka there. Mm-hmm. We launched and we had Marlon Brando do the commercial. We have 10 million daily followers on the Godfather website. Mm-hmm. In 48 minutes, they had 2 million hits. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now I'm opening 17,000 grocery stores starting this August with oh, wow. quarterly owned family selections. Uh-huh. We, have the, we own the IP of the original Genco olive oil can that De Niro hand Cheech in Italy before he uh-huh. cut them up. Yeah. Amazon thinks they'll sell a million of those cans for Christmas this year <laughs> as souvenir. That's uh-huh. how big this brand is. Yeah. It's in 41 countries. I ship China. We ship, you name it. We ship this goods already. Mm-hmm. Nobody went, took this, all these products. Nobody licensed them. My company licensed everything. We own yeah. it all. That's pretty awesome. That's a good idea too. So who's Was that your idea? To license all these different things? Well, no, my, my partner, Jeffrey Dash, who's a genius, and uh, we did it. I mean, it's, uh, and I'm, I just want to be the ambassador of the brand. I don't, I don't own anything. I don't own anything. I don't have no credit card. I live a very simple life. I'll tell you where to drop the money, though. <laughs> <laughs> very, yeah. So, uh, how about Al Pacino? What was it like to, to, to act with Al Pacino? I mean, it's a great scene. Oh, wow. The, I think you a great guy. Is such a great guy. No, I only talk to Al and Bobby De Niro. I don't talk to Jimmy Conn or all those other assholes. <laughs> Jimmy Conn thinks he's, he's Sonny Corleone. Uh-huh. He walked after doing that movie. He really thought he was bad. <laughs> That's how I'm not seeing. <laughs> so, uh, what, did you not get along with him uh, when you were making the movie? Oh, not at all. He hated me. 
Well, he well, couldn't understand him when all this studying and all these schools and, right. and uh, you know Stella Adler and everybody he went to. And then then when he then he lost the Michael part, and got the smaller part as Sonny, and got mm-hmm. killed in the middle of the movie, and it was done. Mm-hmm. That really pissed him off. <laughs> <laughs> so so what was his problem with you? It's just that because he did all this study he to be an actor. Didn't, and yeah, and I, I, you know, and I, he saw my cars, he, and then he started to, I guess he did due diligence. I had one of the biggest houses behind the Bell Hills Hotel while I was doing this movie. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going through a divorce after divorce. He's broke today again. Yeah. No, Jimmy, so I, Jimmy's not a nice guy. So I know you got hurt during the, the, the great fight scene. Uh, do you think he... Because of him. Do you think he did that on purpose? I know he did. Even that, even that Billy stick, that wasn't in the rehearsal. We rehearsed for a day. Every mark was there. The punches he was throwing, he was supposed to pull them. And the garbage pail thing, the punches worked well. The garbage pail, that was a steel garbage pail cover. He chipped my elbow. Then I'm crawling out under the hydrant to get to the hydrant. Remember that scene, I'm crawling? Yeah. And he drop kicks me, and he was just supposed to touch me. I reacted to it. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker drop kicked me like I was a football. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm laying there and I felt hurt. But then mm-hmm. I don't forget it was my first movie. So I went when I went back to, to the hotel room, my whole chest, everything was killing me. I couldn't uh, inhale or laugh. I said, this is a tough business. I don't know if I want to be in there. I thought this <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, and you think, but that's not like a tough thing to do on his part because... You know, you can't actually fight back because you're the guy that's getting beat up oh, you yeah. know, in the movie. So it's not like you're right. being a tough guy and no, fight this guy. No. I, well, years ago, I don't know if you remember when Trump in Atlantic City was having these big fights. And before the fights, they'd have like, uh, what's the name, about Robert Conrad, when he had that battery on his shoulder and all that. And he had all these people coming in, Boom Boom Mancini, yeah, different people, even uh, that, the kid, I like that kid a lot, actually, who was a boxer for the PAL, then he did, did Taxi, he had all those, his own shows. Oh, that actor? Think, um, Tony Danza? Tony Danza. Mm-hmm. So they did all those. So I called Trump out. I said, Donald, I said, how about Jimmy Khan and I do go three rounds this time without garbage bales? <laughs> and he went crazy for the idea. Jimmy wouldn't do it. Yeah. I would kick the fucking shit out of him. <laughs> right, when it's one on one, when you actually both know that you're in on it, uh, and you're not going to actually fight, then, then he doesn't do it. Well, I'm 10th degree Tai Chi, first of all. <laughs> I studied. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> no, no I, I know what I'm doing, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so oh. yeah, since the movie, there's, uh, uh, have you ever any, any interaction with him at all? Like, have you seen him places? Oh, I see him places. And he was told he ran. He ran to Junior Versico. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was around. You know, Andrew Russo and all those guys. You know, all, all it's a different family. They they ran the Colombo family after Joe got shot. That was another whole thing. But anyway, uh, he ran to them. Saying, "I don't know," because my my best man, both my weddings was Tommy Bellotti. Tommy Bellotti got shot with Paul Castellano. It was his bodyguard. Who's he to Chico? I'm with every night. That's Frankie Boy to Chico's father. These guys are my friends. I didn't have to kiss their ass or anything else. This kid's up their ass uh, buying them uh, tickets for the garden. 
he wanted to be around these guys. Mm-hmm. So he, he set me up one night and it backfired on him. We sat down with him and we read him the riot act. I didn't say anything. I didn't have to, mm-hmm. but Tommy Bellotti told him if this kid gets a splinter, I'm going to stick a baseball bat up your ass. You understand who he is with us? Who the fuck are you? And, and junior sat there. He said, Jimmy, you asked for this. I have nothing to say about it. And that was it. And they told him, when you see Johnny Russo on the street, cross the street. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I, would, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't even want to talk to him. He's an asshole. <laughs> uh, do you have any uh, James Conn stories in the book? No, I wouldn't even put his name in my book. <laughs> I think I mentioned that, you know, he chipped my elbow while he's a jerk. I put it in the book. Yeah. No, I mean, Pacino, Danilo, everybody, I mean, everybody else was so nice. He thought, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought maybe he really thought he was sunny and he's in character, you know. Uh-huh. But, you know, because yeah. De Niro does that, you know, De Niro takes a character on, and mm-hmm. I, I just did it something with him. And for those three days, he was that guy. He didn't know me, he didn't know my name. <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> but he didn't, you know, he didn't chip my elbow or break my ribs. Mm hmm. Uh, you since you didn't uh, have like uh, actual um, uh, training for an actor when you when you work with people like that De Niro Pacino uh, is that kind of like acting school in a way like you learn something from from these other actors? You know, I'm going to tell you something, and your audience is going to hear something you could never believe. I had one acting teacher, Marlon Brando. I had one singing teacher, Frank Sinatra. The only acting I did in that movie was the closing scene with. Pacino when he tells me I have to answer for Fantini. Do you know Miranda worked to me every word of that script? Worked to me. Shout how to do it. Is when they handed it to the airline ticket. Look at it. Make believe you have to see that maybe you're really leaving. You already read the script. You already know you're dying. You have to let the audience don't know that you know. And that's the difficult part, he said. And he yeah. was the one who showed me all that. And he said, you know what? When you look around the room, when he asked if, who was it, Barzini or Tataya, you got to look around. These guys could chop off your head. You know that. So mm-hmm. I mean, that was all Brando. Mm-hmm. And that's what made the scene work. All the other scenes were all violent. There was nothing really. But mm-hmm. to happen, because and, and for lay people listening to this, to, to this uh, taping, mm-hmm. they don't, you don't really, you shoot a master. Everybody's in the scene of the master. Mm-hmm. Then they come and do a two shot or a three shot. Then they go over your shoulder to shoot Pacino. Then they go over Pacino's shoot to shoot you. All of that stuff has to keep coming. You have your motivation. You're crying. The tears in my eyes, my fear. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do that. Randall, he said, what's the worst thing you ever saw in your life? I said, my father used to beat up my mother. He said, you got to remember that. Every time you have to have that fear, you have to bring that. And that's how I got nominated. You know, I got nominated in Con for most mm-hmm. promising newcomer. Mm-hmm. But the, the, I mean, I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back. I'm patting Brando on the back. Sure. That's why that scene worked. It was so believable. Mm-hmm. And I hear from I hear from all over the world because mm-hmm. now the film is you know so acclaimed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that to me that was the only scene, mm-hmm. but it was believable. Mm-hmm. Like you said, and the other a, thing I didn't realize, yeah. you know, the, the size of the screen, when that's being projected, it's mm-hmm. like 36 feet by 16 feet. Mm-hmm. You better know what you're doing because when they're on a close-up of you, they'll know in two seconds. 
mm-hmm. if you really were fearful or not. Yeah. So uh, when, when you self, when you saw that for the first time on the big screen, uh, the whole movie and particularly that scene, what, what, what did you think? I was really impressed. I said, I look at it, look at it, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I'm an egomaniac anyway. I mean, sure. You know. Do you think but you I have, try to perfect yeah. it? Do you think you have to be in a way, uh, not necessarily egomaniac, but do you think you have, you have to have an ego to make it in, in any type of uh, performance? You know, it's act. interesting because I got this. I, I, I do motivational speaking. I think we all have to have an ego, no matter like you. Right now, you have to project on the radio. You have to sure. win your audience over. You, you, you obviously are prepared. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell kids this all the time: whatever you want to do, be prepared to do it, and believe you can do it. And that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I don't care yeah. what your profession is. My mm-hmm. lawyers, they're the greatest actors in the world. When they're defending me, they get up there, they go over with bullshit, I say, bravo, bravo. <laughs> I was told not to do that anymore in a courtroom. I'd stand up and after in a closing argument, I'd get up and say, bravo, bravo. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. One uh, thing about me, Neil, I don't give a shit about nothing. Uh-huh. Well, I can I've see been that. shot, blown up. I mean, I was kid. I mean, I survived everything, and here I am. Yeah. And I'm and I'm taking now these uh, you know stem cells, mm-hmm. and I go to you know John Hopkins. My doctors are amazing, Doctor Tawari. They mm-hmm. said the way you live, because I mean my resting heart's fifty, my blood pressure's one twenty. It's like stupid. Mm-hmm. You can live to one hundred twenty five, one hundred fifty years of age, because anything I need, they can build inside my body. They're my own stem stem cells. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it, and I'm an experiment of it because of what all I mean. I, I was pretty after the after the polio, which they wanted that to begin with, because you know I spent five years on the left side of my body. I had no motivation at all. I don't even have a limp. I have nothing. Mm-hmm. And then about six, seven years ago, I was shot in New York six times at close range. Oh wow! And here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been, my throat's been cut. I've been poised. I've been, you name it. I'd love it. <laughs> well, what was the shooting about? Who shot you? What was the reason? I can't even talk about it. It's crazy. Right. Right. I can't even talk about it. It's like insanity. Yeah. No, we all, we both, everybody said, let's just go home and forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, in, I was in New York Presbyterian, thank God, in seven minutes. Uh-huh. Cause I live on 61st street. It happened right outside of my building, four o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. But I, I went right up to New York Presbyterian. Dr. Tuari, the doctor I just gave accolades to, he was my doctor. He's the head urologist there. Now he's at Cedars of Sinai. But he went in, man, took everything out, and repatched me up, and then I started with this experiment. And huh. she get it. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Like yesterday, when I talked to you, I, you know, I, I did five miles yesterday. Yeah, I felt bad because uh, I, I would try to walk every day. A couple of years ago, I was very sick and I was in the hospital for, for a long time. And since then, I try to walk a few couple miles every day. And uh, I walked uh, three miles yesterday, and then you told me you walked uh, five, so I, I felt bad. <laughs> well, you now, now that I knew you have been rehabilitated in the hospital, mm-hmm. why I sleep 10 to 12 hours a day, my doctors in the hospital told me that's the time your body heals. Mm-hmm. So every day, even now. I sleep 10 to 12 hours a day and I do exercise, but no impact. 
Mm-hmm. I eat right. And I do, I mean, again, not to stress that I'm 75, but shit, man, I'll go 10 rounds right now. <laughs> so I want to bring up, because, so uh, yeah, that, that's great. That's that's inspirational, I think, as well. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Christopher Cerrone on the show soon, and he told me that he's, I don't know if he's doing something with you or he's meeting you soon. Uh, do you have any uh, any stories with Christopher Cerrone? He was uh, the young Henry Hill in, uh, in uh, Goodfellas. I know him. I don't know. I don't have it. I mean, I, Henry Hill, I knew, unfortunately, I hate to say that I knew a rat, but he's a rat. Yeah. No, I was, no, but I mean, no, I mean, he's a great actor, the kid. Mm-hmm. But yes. other than that, I, I haven't seen him in a long time, even. Okay. So yeah, that's a good name. It What's is he name. looking like? How old is he now? I'm not sure how old he is, but he, he looks good. Uh, he's on my Facebook page, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook. I met him a couple of years ago at a convention. And kept you know a little bit in touch with him, and he's going to come on the show. So yeah, but he looks very good. I don't is know. He, uh, is he still acting? Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think he's good, got something good. new coming up. It's very good. Uh, yeah, I, we, I, we go into production twenty nineteen on this Hollywood okay. Godfather. Very cool. And uh, you can keep up with like that information up on your website on uh, giannirusso.com. dot com. Yeah, you, I mean, you, I'm always on everything: Instagram, Facebook, everything. I just had my ninth grandson last week. Oh, really? Now I got nine sons, two daughters, nine grandsons. I have twenty kids. <laughs> is that That's insane? Family, yeah. So, uh, well, the unique part, the unique part was ten mothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand. So I, uh, I, 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 I want to ask a question about Don Rickles because there's always a favorite of mine. Oh, I love Don Rickles. He's the best. Yeah, he's the great. He's the greatest. And uh, I always fascinated about like old school Vegas. So I think that's. You know, great time. I was his opening act, you know, for a year. Really? He used to come to my... When I opened State Street Mm -hmm. in Vegas, I I got the idea because selfishly there was nowhere to go other than coffee shops after one o'clock because of all the union hotels. So I built a joint 13,000 square feet, served gourmet food from six at night to six in the morning. Anything you wanted, Russian service, the dishes were finished table side, I had everybody who was anybody in that club. Mm-hmm. So I used to go on stage and sing in my own club. So one night Sinatra was there and then Don Rickles comes in and he's sitting with Frank and I get off stage. Frank says to me, Don really likes the way you sing. I said, oh, great, Don. Thank you. I said, well, he taught me, which is true. I went to Palm, Palm Springs to give me singing lessons. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was there, first two days, he had me submerged in the pool. I said, I didn't come here, come swimming lessons. <laughs> he said, you got to expand your lungs. So he used to tie me. I used to smirch okay. myself. And, mm-hmm. and to, he said, the whole thing is, the, the instrument is the wind. Your throat is the instrument and your, your stomach and lower diaphragm. You need to control your lungs and your wind. And then I'll teach you how to sing. And he did. Hmm. But that, what he said, so with Rickles, he, he said, do you like the way you sing? I said, great. He's giving me a phone. So I got him a phone. We plugged it in. And I didn't know he had Steve Wynn on the other end of the phone. And he said, I'm here with Rickles at Russo's Club. He says, he really likes his singing. I want him to be his opening act for the next year. Don Rickles almost fell off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I already booked people. He said, well, fire him. You're going out with him. I said, okay, great. I was with him a year. Uh, that must have been fun. And so, I mean, oh, my God, the best. I traveled to Europe with him. So one night we're there, him and Bob Newhart and then both wives. Another and, one. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So now they're on the Via Veneto. I told him I'd meet him there. 
I said, where are you going to be? He said, oh, we'll be at the Cafe America. I said, I'll be at the Cafe Donate. When I get there, come and join me. I'll have a table there. So now, they didn't know I had the use of the Vatican car. You know, they gave me the car. I used to have it all the time. But this one night, you know, I had the flags and all that shit. So I'm coming up. It's like midnight. And they, 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 the crowd starts clapping. Pop, 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 pop. So I get out of the car. Rickles, knowing who he is, right? He starts screaming, that's not him. He robbed the Pope's car. That's not the Pope. Johnny Russo. I know him. He's a gangster from New York. Everybody was rolling on the floor. That's Don Rickles. <laughs> that's he awesome. the best. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah he's the best. So uh, I got some questions here from uh, Facebook. They wanted, uh, when I announced you're going to be on the show, uh, Michael wants to know, what was it like filming Laser Blast with Roddy McDowell? Oh, my God. That's going back. <laughs> yeah, that was like my second or third film. Roddy McDowell was amazing. I mm -hmm. played this. You, have, you should pull this up. They, they wanted to use my car. You know what's interesting now that I'm thinking, wow, this is, um, who's, his brother was a big producer. And when I took the film, I thought it was the brother producing, it was his brother, his younger brother. But um, when they released Star Wars, they put this as a companion sci-fi movie with it. Mm -hmm. And that's how it got so many accolades. I mean, Roddy McDowell is totally insane. This guy, whoa. <laughs> We were out in the desert and uh, Fort Edward uh, in Nevada, the Air Force Base, mm -hmm. and and they used the the, the, the desert at night, mm -hmm. and they they floated neon in the clay cracks, and it looked like we were on the friggin' moon. <laughs> well, Roddy McDowell wanted to stay there. Though. He thought he was on the moon. This guy, <laughs> <laughs> and there was only maybe about a hundred feet of it. They didn't do the whole desert, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Laser uh, blast! Wow, that was funny. <laughs> I was uh, the only FBI agent, a UFO agent, that had a brand new Cadillac, and I was wearing <laughs> Brioni suits because they wanted me to use my own wardrobe. I said, "This is what I have. I don't want. Oh, you have nothing nice. I wear suits every day. That's it. You want me? There it is." <laughs> Let's see. Uh, the director of uh, the movie Terrifier, Damien Leone, he wants to know uh, how many takes did it uh, take to do your death scene? In The Godfather. My death scene? Not yeah. many. That, everybody thought that was a hard... It was in the car because once uh, Clemenza pulled me up, then I rushed my back on the top of that seat and then I started kicking out the windshield. We did about six or seven takes. The hard part was the camera was mounted on the hood. So that's why everything looked so real. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you never saw my legs and you never saw me pushing myself up either because mm -hmm. they were shooting it through the windshield. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny wants to know what... Oh, sorry. Dead. Oh, okay. Uh, Danny wants to know, uh, what was it like to work with Jackie Chan? Oh, I love Jackie. The Rush Hour 1 and 2, that was great. Well, Brett Ratner was the director. Jackie's a gentleman. I mean, and very, I mean, such a pro. Talking about doing his own stunts. I mean, this guy is crazy. I was with him when he jumped off the tower in downtown L.A., without a net, jumping to a helicopter. And they told me, you know, we're 54 stories up. He said, I could do this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And he yeah. runs off the building. They time and he grabs the lower rung of the helicopter. That's nuts. <laughs> That's pretty wild. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Mike wants to know, I don't know if you want to answer this, I don't know, but uh, wants to know, who is the best lover, Diana Warwick, Liza Minnelli, or Marilyn Monroe? Marilyn Monroe, forget about it. She was like a baby. She was so innocent. Mm-hmm. Liza was a freak, and I oh, can't even get into Dion Warwick. That was another whole thing that nobody realized what was going on. <laughs> but uh, out of respect, I can't talk to them about it. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. I'm sure that we'll, we, maybe we'll find out in the book some of these stories. Um, no, no. Dion's uh, not even mentioned in the book. Uh, only, only there's one thing about Dion, that's all. All right, good enough. No, there, uh, somebody asked me recently, Nick Pelleggi wanted to know why I left Grace Kelly out because he knew I had a, a, a situation with her. Mm-hmm. And I said, talking about Grace Kelly is like talking about the Blessed Mother. I could never do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good of you, Gianni. Let's see. Uh, a lot of these things we already covered, but uh, thanks everyone for sending uh, questions in. Uh, Bryce wants to know uh, how real was the atmosphere? Uh, during the wedding reception in the household at the beginning of uh, The Godfather. Oh, no, that was real because, you know, they weren't getting it, and they had 700 extras. And, you know, and they, I said, get real wine in these pictures. What are we doing here? So my, my driver, I sent my driver down the hill to La Rosa. He got a couple of gallons of wine. We were drinking wine. But, you know, second or third hour, everybody was having fun. That was real. That was good. And, you know, it's ironic. That band that played for that wedding, Played mm-hmm. for two of my other weddings, real. That was Nino Morielli and his brothers. They were on Staten Island. They were the big dance band. And they played all the feasts. Mm-hmm. So I was like at one of my weddings, but somebody else was paying for it this time. <laughs> That's very cool. So uh, I want to ask about uh, your music, because I actually uh, found a video of you uh, singing My Way, which I thought uh, you did a very good job. Uh, how, can oh, people, uh, how can people get your music, and uh, how could they see you perform? Do you do, you, do, you do live anywhere? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm singing live a lot. In fact, I'm trying, I'm, I was cutting down, but I just love doing it. So I may be doing it again at the Regency Hotel on, right on my corner, 61st and Park. I was there for 10 years at Feinstein's. Mm-hmm. So I may be doing Wednesday nights there because I could just walk down and hang out. I love it. No, I'm, I'll be, uh, well, is this going out right now? Uh, is this going live? Not, no, not, it's not live, but it'll probably go to, uh, probably this weekend. Okay, well, if you want to see me sing in Chicago, I'm at the Taylor Street Feast, the Italian Feast in Chicago, Taylor Street Festa. I'm there on the 17th and the 20th, no, the 18th and 20th closing night singing. And the following week, I'm in Butler, Pittsburgh, at at their feast, singing Friday and Saturday night. 24th and 25th. So I'm all over the place. I'm in Dubai. I'm in London. I'm all over. I love it. No, very cool. I'll be in London in a couple of weeks. My first time uh, being in England. Looking forward to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know what they I want to, they could, they can go online and get, if they get reflections, mm-hmm. Sinatra lent me his 28 piece band to do that whole session. He paid for the session. You believe that? That's pretty wild. Yeah. It was like eighty something thousand dollars he paid. Damn. Yeah, and uh, what I liked about when I when I listened to you, because I think um, obviously it it's about the voice too. Not saying that it's not that doesn't factor into it, but I think a lot of those songs are about uh, storytelling and like uh, your charisma and like uh, character driven. I think a lot of those songs. Well, Sinatra told me to do that. Mm-hmm. People love to hear stories. You're a movie actor. Talk to them too. Just don't sing. 
you know, and then the, uh, these people on stage, even pro, and now I want to sing, and now I want to sing. Hey, we came here to sing. Okay, how about a story? Where, what'd you eat today? Tell me something. Uh-huh. The people want to know that. Yeah. It I works for me. I mean, no, I'm agree. not a great singer, but I pack audiences. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was watching, that's what I thought. And I always think that's a, a big part of uh, Sinatra, too, was uh, when you listen to his songs, it's really, uh, he's telling a story with within them. No, and that's what he did. He taught me that the phrasing, the storytelling, building the sto- building the song up before you sing it, all that stuff. It works. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm doing this now over forty years. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Uh-huh. I don't know why people show up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a wonderful time talking to you, and I'm re- I'm looking forward to reading the book when it comes out. Oh, please, please, we'll do something in Boston or wherever you know. Yeah. Where, where are you? I'm on the Cape. Yeah, but I go, yeah, I'm in the Cape, but I go up to Boston a lot. So there's probably more yeah, going on up in Boston than in the Cape. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, go, we'll go to Nikki's joint and we'll do a, a, a reading in the North End. All my Sicilian friends are up there. All right, very we'll, good. We'll do a book signing. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, God bless your audience. And wherever I am, come and say hello, man. Definitely. I really appreciate being on, Johnny. Uh, it was great. Anytime you want, It'd be my pleasure. Right. Join Thank us you. next week when when Johnny returns. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, definitely, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. It's a quarter to three. There's no one in the place. Except you and me Set him up, Joe I got a little story You ought to know Drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Make it one for my baby, and one more for the I know the routine Put another nickel In the machine I'm feeling so bad Won't you make the music Easy and sad I could tell you a lot But it's not In a gentleman's code Make it one for my baby And one more for the road Thank you.
never know it But buddy, I'm a kind of poet And I got a lot of things I'd like to say And if I'm gloomy Please listen to me Till it's talked away That's how it goes And Joe, I know you're getting Anxious to close Thanks for the cheer I hope you didn't mind My bending your This torch that I found It's gotta be drowned Or it soon might explode Make it one for my baby And one more for the road That long road.